We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical, mental, filth, my physical as well as my mental fitness. Coffee time. All right. That's right. We all need to laugh, and it is once again coffee time. You know what we're talking about. This is uh, the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. I'm Jason Floyd, your host, and this is a blustery New Year's Day, January 1st, 2022. Did you ever think it would come around? Uh, in in the studio uh, cafe here, I have a guest with me. Um, I met this gentleman from, uh, uh, he's up from Sitka, and after having a short uh, conversation the other day, I can confirm there are a few uh, conservative vigilantes down in Sitka. So uh, today it's Ralph uh, Vigilante. That's right. And and no, this is not a funny Canadian comedy show with uh, made up names. Ralph uh, Vigilante. Where's where's that originate from? So uh, uh, we did a brief history on our last name, I, and uh, so my real father, his family came over from Italy, uh, turn of the century, turn of the last century. I guess we should start clarifying that. Uh, we've got vigilantes in Ellis Island's book from uh, eighteen ninety seven through nineteen o five. They weren't later called the Capones, were they? No, well, <laughs> uh, I think in that one I might plead the fifth. I, I, I have no doubt. Uh, I have no doubt that probably some of them fell into that line of work. Well, you know, those were difficult times for folks. And, you know, when you come from a, a corrupt system in a place where the only way to get ahead is by uh, doing things outside, coloring outside of the lines, and then you come to a place that offers a different perspective and culture, sometimes it takes people a little bit longer to sort of catch the memo assimilate right assimilate Assimilate. right right so um i was really happy to meet you the other day uh we had a good conversation and we're going to recap some of that here today you know uh sitka beautiful place i've heard i've never been there actually i think i i think i landed and left i was on the milk run sure um to uh juno a number of years ago and uh, Sheldon Jackson, the home home of Sheldon Jackson, okay. and our State Trooper Academy. That's correct. Um, also home to a, a sounds like a very woke crowd of folks. There's a fair amount of them. Uh, there, uh, well, every town seems to have them, but I, I think Southeast Alaska towns seem to be uh, gets more than their fair share, should I say? Yeah. So. Um, you know, one of the things we were talking about is uh, Sheldon Jackson. You know, my my uh, first exposure to Sheldon Jackson was when I was in high school. Uh, they had an art camp down there, and um, my brother was an artist. I was an artist, and I had some friends uh, that actually went to that camp. And yep. it had always been a goal of mine to go, but it just never never put it together and never happened. But um, so the Sheldon Jackson that started off as a as a Christian college. It did okay. at, at one point in time. It did. Okay, so Presbyterian, I believe. Presbyterian, yeah. right now. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know the history of Alaska, when the the Christian Church came to Alaska, 
Uh, and this is this is post uh, Russian occupation. Yep. Um, I think there were about five different groups that sat down and they divided up the state because it was so large that uh, as they were uh, looking at uh, bringing the gospel to different parts of the state, they realized really quickly that they wouldn't be able to effectively do that logistically if they took the whole territory. And so uh, some folks have criticized them for doing this, you know, as being sort of uh, elitist or colonial-minded and but I think they were pretty shrewd when they said, you know, we're going to divide the state up by regions. And and really, if you think about it, um, you know, we were, we were talking about this in our uh, Band of Brothers Men's Fellowship this Wednesday, the word ecclesia. Ecclesia. Ecclesia, yep. you know, the, this greater idea of the church, not as the, the diaspora that occurred after Lutheranism and, and sort of the schism that uh, resulted within the, the, the Roman Catholic Church, but... Um, you know, this idea that uh, ecclesia or ecumenical um, fellowship and, and uh, work uh, is really uh, the truest form of Christianity, where uh, regardless of theology and doctrine, um, that uh, the kernel of, of uh, the story, the, the, the most significant piece, the one about Christ being the author of liberty and no true liberty being available to man without Christ, um, you know, that that's a unifying idea. And uh, Sheldon Jackson, you know, was an early, I guess you'd say, uh, father of the state um, from a faith perspective. He tried to help the the Alaska Native population out uh, out west by helping them. He re- he recognized they needed a cash. They needed a way to integrate into the new cash economy because as a hunter gatherer culture that was uh, largely nomadic, uh, where they would travel from one hunting ground to the next and fishing grounds and you know um, living that subsistence lifestyle. Um, that integrating into a cash-based economy was going to be difficult for them. So he is credited with bringing caribou uh, in the form of reindeer. Uh, So reindeer are the same uh, species of animal as a caribou, but they're uh, Mm -hmm. a different variety. There's, I think there's five varieties of this. I'm letting my cooperative extension show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, you might want to shield your children's, the young one's eyes, but uh, uh, Jason, you bring up Ecclesia. I read a great book a while back, and I was just trying to Google search that. you got to love the, the World Wide Web so you don't look like a fool. Well, well, you, you don't look like nothing on the radio. But anyway, um, uh, Ecclesia by uh, Tom Nelson. Read it several years back, and it's a beautiful picture of of the first century church. Mm-hmm. Beautiful picture of how first century believers met and that's and when they were still driving hondas right the, yeah absolutely they, they were all meeting yeah, in one right. accord three three banger hond- yeah. <laughs> hondas that's right three banger hondas in one accord that's right right, right. Yeah. so you know um we have we, we try to have a good time on the show and uh one of the reasons that i asked ralph to join us was um he told me a story that struck a nerve that uh you know, we recently had the Nutcracker Suite uh, performed by the Homer Nutcracker Ballet, which is an annual uh, event, and you know, to its credit, uh, has uh, developed quite a reputation. Um, but this year was different in that they segregated people uh, based on their vaccine status, 
And uh, Ralph, why don't you tell us a little bit about the drama program in Sitka? So the drama program, you, you brought up Sheldon Jackson Arts Camp. They have a theater group that puts together productions, and, and they've done some great productions. We've attended a couple of them. A very dear friend of mine, Brother in Christ, uh, and I, to protect the innocent, I won't name names on, on the air here, but uh, him and his wife and their daughter, they're uh, recently moved, recently located to Sitka here within the last three years, and his daughter's uh, very involved in the drama uh, program there at Sheldon Jackson. Um, this year, they were doing the... Uh, uh, you'll have to forgive me. I forgot the. It was um, not the nut. It was the Nutcracker. It was okay. It was the Nutcracker here just before the holidays, and uh, so they had the cast. And about halfway through all of the rehearsals, working up to production weekend, uh, they sent out a letter saying that nobody can come to the production unless uh, they were vaccinated. However, they excluded the cast from the vaccination requirement. So my friend and his wife, they obviously are non-vaxxers. They're not anti-vaxxers. I think there's a very fine line, if I could interject that, between non-vaxxed and anti-vax. Look, if, if you want to get vaxxed, get it. If you don't want to get vaxxed, don't get it. But there's, uh, there's a real fine line there, I think. But they are non-vaxxers. And uh, so they petitioned Sheldon Jackson, what do we have to do to come watch our daughter perform? You know, we've we've paid these fees. Are you kicking her out of the play? Oh, no, she's not getting kicked out of the play. She gets to perform, but you can't come see her unless you get the jab. Well, that's a great bait and switch. Isn't it, though? Hey, we're going to we're going to uh, we're going to not pay your daughter to come and perform as an actor in this play. We're going to actually charge you. That's right. For the privilege of participating. And after the fact, after you've inv- invested all this time and energy and money and emotions into this drama, That's we're going to create more drama for you and your family, and we're going to treat you like a lesser person. A lesser person. Isn't that something? Yeah. Lesser yeah. person. So, Alaska. Welcome to Alaska, folks. Yep. Coming to a theater near you. Uh, you know, I, I think it's here. I, I don't think it's coming. I, I think, uh, Jason, I think I think it's here. It is. So, you know, we're all about solutions here at the shop, and uh, we want to encourage people to stand up, speak out, speak often, push back against the darkness, because this is, this is a pressing darkness. You know, uh, I read uh, last week where um, I believe it was the mayor of Chicago, and the... Um, there's a winner. I'm going to get it wrong, but uh, the mayor of Boston, mm-hmm. uh, and there was one more city I couldn't remember, but they they came out within the same week. So, I mean, interesting that I don't, I don't know if they're just reading from the same playbook or just watching very closely and like the kid in the classroom that waits to raise their hand till mm-hmm. everybody else does if they're, you know, practicing this. But, but uh, they made statements. They made edicts <laughs> that... Uh, no person who is unvaxxed uh, will be allowed into entertainment venues or places where hospitality services are presented. The irony of that. Without a vaccine. Unbelievable. The irony of an edict, though, that's, uh, uh, that, that just reeks of monarchy. <laughs> and, and I could rewind our nation's history a couple of hundred years, and uh, there were several edicts that came from across the pond that... Uh, 
uh, we righteously rebelled against. I say we as a nation and what gave us our nation today. And so now we've got modern day elected officials uh, passing edicts and mandates. Um, I, I don't know. I, I find it ironic. So it's interesting when you do a, a quick search. I, I'm I'm forever fascinated with the uh, the world of Wikipedia. There you go. Because Wikipedia is sort of like uh, kind of like the way that the state handles uh, fisheries biology. <laughs> they, they've done such a good job with that. They should you be know, in charge of mosquitoes. Fisheries <laughs> biology. They, I, it's like they look at the fish. They look at the resource. They look at the user groups. Then they lick their finger. <laughs> now, once you lick your finger, there's lots of things you can do with it. But they lick their finger and they hold it aloft. Yeah. And like like today, the, that flagpole is about ready to blow over. It's it's blowing so hard out here. The flags are all standing straight yep. out. Yep. They put their finger up and they're like, hmm, which way is the wind blowing today? Today. You know, and, and that is what Wikipedia seems to be doing more and more lately. I just uh, I just searched up fascism using the Microsoft platform Bing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's always interesting to look at what you find on Bing, what shows up first, yeah, and then go over to DuckDuckGo and look at what shows up there. Interesting. And they're vastly different. Oh, sure they are. Sure they are. But, uh, you know, fascism as Wikipedia, you know, that's that's the dictionary by our peers, so, mm-hmm. so we've been told. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's not actually how Wikipedia works anymore. It, it has become a woke instrument of the left, but they, they, they try to paint fascism as a form of, here's, here's their words, fascism, and this is just an abstract, I didn't open up the whole, the whole page, but fascism is a form of far-right authoritarian ultra-nationalism characterized by dictatorial power, forcible suppression of opposition, and strong regimentation of society and of the economy, which came to prominence in the early twentieth century Europe. So now, so so let's 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 rewind on that definition and do. think about twenty twenty one. Please do. So twenty twenty one, we have the House of Representatives controlled by the Democrats. Mm-hmm. The Senate split fifty mm-hmm. fifty, but really run by Democrats. Run by Democrats. A Democrat. Illegitimate emperor has no clothes. President, I don't know what day of the week it is. Let's and, go, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> and then and then the 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 hyena that represents the VP uh, office. You know, she laughs so much. You know, it, it's really. I'd love to see a political cartoon with a hyena's body. And in Camilla Harris's yeah. face on it. Well, she laughs to dodge the questions, and that's the way she's able to segue into something right. else. Yeah, right. But um, you know, if you rewind that definition of fascism, so let's let's just throw out for just for argument's sake the first statement that it's a form of far right something. Sure. Now let's just get rid of that term right there and say an authoritarian. Ultra-nationalism characterized by dictatorial power. So they tried to paint Trump as a fascist when he was actually a populist president. That's right. Who unified people from across the aisle, 
brought in minorities that had never truly been served by the Democrats Mm -hmm. other than as a victim class, a victim class. You know, you can't achieve anything without our help. You know, very elitist, you know, um, the, the Democrats took the uh, Ku Klux Klan hoods off. They uh, lost their plantations in the Civil War or sold them, or some of them still have them. But they invested their money in inner city projects Yep. and re-enslaved or maintained the slavery of the class that they enslaved to begin with. And then pointed at the Republicans and said, this is all your fault, when ironically... Every time that there has been a movement for liberty, it has been centered on the conservative right. That's correct. And um, so interesting. So so um, vigilante is one word. Fascism is another. another. You're fortunate your last name is not fascist. I'm glad. <laughs> I, I think I would have changed it by now. Yeah, yeah. to probably something like vigilante. Vigilante. Or, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Can't even make that up. No, no. <laughs> so I, I, I told Ralph, I said, man, you have a name that is so sexy for politics. Yeah, right. You know, uh, and now uh, the the candidate, uh, Ralph Vigilante. <laughs> what, what's your position on, uh, on justice, R- Ralph? <laughs> Let me show you my definition of my last name. You're right, right. <laughs> Right. So, um, you know, crazy things going on, you know, the segregation of people, um, the isolation of people, the labeling of people The you know, the Nazis did this. The fascists did. Sure this, they did. And the Fauci's do this. For which, sure they do. Which I find it ironic that fascist and Fauci are so similar in in uh, construction Pr- pronunciation. and pronunciation. That's right. Well, hey, Jason, just t- take a look back. Let's just go back. I don't know. What do we got? 60 years removed now from, from the civil rights movement, you know, of, of the early 60s. And uh, um, we're not talking about segregation via color or race. Uh, now we're segregating due to a vaccine status or mask or we're not wearing a mask. Oh, and no, we're so, doing it by race, too. Well, it's called critical race theory. Sh- sure there is. Critical race theory, that's... that's that's a whole well it's actually not an issue because i think they're all tied right Right. they're all they're all tied to the same cause Mm -hmm. and that's for ultimate power right um follow the money critical race theory follow the money through the vaccines follow the money through the mandates they're all tied in however they've taken our country backwards 60 years or more in civil rights i'm just going to call it civil rights because you and i have the same civil rights as any minority class um if you ask me that, uh, that's my stance on that. However, what they're trying to do is divide us as a people, and, and they're starting to succeed. And I think they've been trying this for a lot of years. And when I say they, I'm going to talk to the government in, in, in general here. Uh, granted, now it's the Democrats that are in charge, but, man, they, 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 they're, they've tried to get us into race wars. They've tried to bait us into class wars uh, f- fiscally, uh, financial class wars. But now they're going to go after us via this covid thing and 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 pit us against each other neighbor against neighbor via vaxxed or unvaxxed um and and taking you right back into sitka to to our civil government in sitka you know we have a sitting assembly member who has actually made the comment in an eoc meeting uh which is an emergency whatever operations center meeting uh, that they formed over this COVID response uh, to say that the unvaccinated should be lined up against a wall and shot. Um, it's uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let's uh, let's 
let's let's rewind the tape. Sure, there you go. <laughs> rewind. <laughs> We've heard this before somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. I I want to say your definition of fascism, relating it to the Europe. In I don't know what was that late twenties, early thirties, and progressing forward. They they had this crazy outbreak of walls with bullet holes in them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It was almost like a virus. It was. It was. You know, I mean, how brazen, how bold, how arrogant of this individual to believe that he could get away with saying something like that. But then, but then Representative Ben Carpenter out of the District 29 uh, in Nikiski says, you know, that he feels that uh, testing or masking, I think it was the testing and having to carry a card at the Capitol was akin to uh, the Yellow Star of David. Um, and everybody uh, in the in the mainstream media jumped down his throat. Sure, they did. You know, calling him anti-Semitic, which is interesting because it's like the Bureau of Doublespeak. You know, <laughs> uh, we've 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 we, the Bureau of Truth, quote unquote. You know, uh, saying uh, you know the fact checkers mm. saying that uh, rewriting history. Sure, really rewriting history. It was it was a an accurate parallel that he drew without a doubt it was without and, a doubt and uh the the only thing missing was the was the jackbooted you know uh militaristic the brown shirts uh dude saying yep. papers please yeah yep. you know uh, instead uh they hired a private company called beacon through crony politics that that thank you kathy geisel who i i hear is going to run for office again good friends with beacon by the way and she was uh, a big part of locking the Capitol down and getting Beacon its massive, lucrative testing contract. Follow the money. Follow the money. Follow the money. So if Kathy Giesel hears this, I, I hope a cold chill runs up her spine. Because history is not kind to those who support movements like the fascist movement that is emerging. And it is actually here. My my guess is that there'll be no shiver, no no cold chill up her spine because I I've I've found in in my own life walk and history will will show that uh, that these types of individuals and these personalities they're unconscionable and and justified in their own right right in the, in their own mind they're justified for their actions. So if you had to if you had to just take stock and what you know about your community you know it's it's been my position that conservatives generally make up a majority of most communities in alaska most not all but most but they're just quiet and they don't get involved and they're too busy working and raising families and minding their own business and that in a community with some rabidly leftist agitators and organizers that a very small minority can totally hijack the community sure they can so so how describes it to us what's the old adage uh you know the uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease so to speak um that's what you see in in southeast sitka is no different than any other town however i i i feel that sitka is probably almost an even split left to right. Um, however, the more people that I converse with, whether it's at the post office or at the hardware store or at the 
rental house or whatever, um, I'm finding that more and more people are getting frustrated with the way things are run and finding that our, our community of Sitka is probably a little more right-leaning than I am even giving it credit for here on the radio. Mm-hmm. And and I tend to agree with you. It's just like any other community. We probably, I say we, cumulatively, the conservative right, probably outnumber the liberal left. And uh, in that sense, though, we're too busy living our lives. We're raising our families. We're supporting our families with jobs. Uh, until I, they put us out of work. Well, until they put us out of work or send us home and, and a that's, mask mandate. That, yeah. That's happening as we speak now. Yep. I'm, I'm talking to more and more folks, mostly men who are uh, being forced to leave their, their jobs. I, sure. I know one uh, gentleman who is a, uh, an engineer that works for an unnamed uh, oil company. I won't tell a uh, support company. I won't tell you which one because it'd be pretty sure. easy to identify who he was. It's not a huge company, but, um, well, I guess it, it's, it's decent size. But he's worked from home for two years under COVID policy from their office they said you know an engineer doesn't have to be in the field he's uh behind the the computer screen so he can do his click clickety clacking from home from home well they recently told him he had to get vaccinated he hasn't been into an office or into the field setting for two years he has a, a young family and he has religious opposition to taking the shot so he filed for an exemption. They granted his exemption. However, they said, but we're going to require you to get tested weekly, and you have to pay for the test. This is a guy who comes into contact with no one. And still has to get the vaccine to maintain his job. Right. And so he's in the position where he has to either compromise on his strongly held religious beliefs and take the jab or defy the administrative directive to take the jab and wait for them to do their worst, which is probably what's going to happen. Yeah. And he's prepared for that. Yeah. Preparing for that. Uh, number of other people I've talked to, slope workers, fully, <coughs> excuse me, fully prepared to lose their job any day because they are saying we will not take the job. Well, deadline's coming up. I think uh, I think Biden's administration with uh, with OSHA, we I, I say we I say companies with over 100 employees have till January 8th or January 10th. Uh, however, I know there's new arguments being brought above being brought before the Supreme Court, um, and I just hope that the Supreme Court will will and and I have no doubt that they will uh, rule. Uh, very judiciously and and follow the lines of the Constitution that it, it's an unconstitutional mandate um, to to um, force American workers to take a jab against their will. Um, there's nothing that gives the federal government or the state government or local governments the authority to do that. You know what I've I've been dismayed by is the the lack of any kind of leadership from the Dunleavy administration in our own state to protect people from these uh, these 
these uh, actions where they're segregating people or telling people you may not participate in services, sure, you know, without getting the jab. And and in the case of the Homer Ballet, you know, that was hosted in a public facility paid for by tax dollars. And so, you know, the borough not doing anything to sanction the the private ballet company that leased the space and say, no, you will not use a public space, you know, that is paid for by tax dollars. I don't care how much you pay for renting the space. Um, You will not use it for these purposes. Uh, the fact that, that our school board has been silent on that, the fact that the, the, the mayor's office has not been um, overtly out there beating a drum saying this will not happen on my watch, shall not happen, I'll do everything in my power to let the school board know that they're not going to get support from this administration and I'll block everything that I, I can, you know, until you, you do what's right. Yeah, you know, uh, all the, well, uh, all these folks are a huge, huge disappointment. I, I think I think it's just like, any polit I, maybe I shouldn't say any political administration. However, the vast majority of political administrations are just like that flag out there on the flagpole you referenced a little while ago. Mm-hmm. It's just waiting to see which way the wind's going to blow to s- show which way it's going to sway, right? And uh, um, anyway, that looks like a pretty strong northwesterly blowing out there today. Maybe my directions are messed up. Northwest. Gonna, to, yeah. Anyway. Go west, my son. Go west. <laughs> so, And then when you hit California, turn back uh, east and yeah. go a little bit north. There you go. And so, then when you find Canada, run like hell, and, and uh, Alaska is the last place you'll reach, and maybe you'll find freedom there. Maybe. Maybe, maybe get some freedom. That's maybe. right. A taste of it. A taste of it. I I don't know. I think uh, I think it's just like any um, politician. Uh, once they've got in into office, I, I'm a huge proponent of term limits. I don't I don't care what your office is. Huge proponent of term limits. However, I think it's just like any politician. They get into office. They have great intentions, uh, but their intentions are muddled down with bureaucracy and money. And when I say that, I say whoever's throwing the most money at the politician or at the administration is whose agenda is going to be followed. And I don't know. We talked about it earlier in the week where we, we talked about the lobby and and special interests and, and what it's done to administrations through history. Uh, I, I just think it's... Uh, and then taking away the power for us to be able to donate what we want, you right, and I, right? Jason but the, and but Ralph. the lobbies yeah. get to. That's right. And, sure. and but then they have this weird thing called PACs, political action committees, sure they super do. PACs, which can spend basically unlimited amounts of money, but they can't be part of any candidate. That's right. So so it's this strange which which PACs and political action uh, super PACs function kind of like. Um, uh, tax exempt organizations. Right. So, you know, the nonprofit world really is um, just socialism disguised and dressed up in the form of charity. Without doubt. Uh, yeah. Without a doubt. Since, yeah. since the inception of 501c3. Right. Without a doubt. Right, right. Because if you look at uh, a majority of the funding for uh, a large number of charities, some of the larger charities that you'll find. Is because of the government funds their region. They're, they're just a, they're just a NGO that has been hired by the government to perform a service the government doesn't want to manage, yep. other than through sort of distant oversight, if any exactly. oversight at all. And uh, it's just redistribution of wealth, taxpayers' money to privileged classes and and organizations that serve niche purses, uh, purposes, oftentimes 
directly connected to politicians and their campaigns and their agendas. And so how do we get here? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 a incremental slide. And, and right. I, I pulled up a, a definition. This is uh, from dictionary dot com. And the, the question is, you know, how many people actually know the difference between uh, the definition of socialism? Because we hear that word thrown around a lot and communism. And so I'm just going to read briefly from this. So uh, what is socialism? Socialism has three main meetings. Mm-hmm. Number one, a theory of system or system of social organization that advocates the vesting of the ownership and control of the means of production and distribution of capital, land, etc. in the community as a whole. Two, procedure or practice in accordance with this theory. And three, in Marxist theory, the stage following capitalism in the transition of a society to communism, characterized by the imperfect implementation of collectivist principles. Socialism is a social theory. This says makes sense. It theorizes that a collective cooperation of citizens will make all government institutions public. For example, no one will receive a health care bill when going to the doctor because they and everyone else have paid a hefty amount in government taxes. That's where the collective cooperation comes in. Yeah, ask Canada how that's working out for them. Yeah, yeah, and, and I find it uh, interesting that they would call taxes cooperation. Cooperation, yeah. Maybe co-option, <laughs> you know, co-opting my dollars into a larger purse for the benefit yeah, of other right. people. Right. I don't know about cooperation, you know, uh, extortion. That's another word that comes in. Yeah, you when, know. The, when the average working man's got to work till May or June to pay his taxes for the year. And uh, I, I mean, you're getting paid throughout the course, but I mean, essentially, you know. But ironically, this uh, current system is telling people like me, creative uh, energetic, committed entrepreneurs, we want you to pay your taxes. Matter of fact, we insist you pay your taxes. Matter of fact, we insist you pay your taxes, and if you get large enough, we insist that you control the liberties of your employees. And, by the way, you're not essential. You're not essential. You're not essential. So, so what that tells me is that that leads right into the next definition of communism. Because the ultimate goal of communism is a totalitarian control of everything. And so I'll read that really quick. Okay. Communism, on the other hand, is a branch of socialism. It's similar in that it's still founded on the idea of collective cooperation, but differs in that communists believe that cooperation should be run by a totalitarian government made up of one and only one government centralized power so we don't have the counties the boroughs the cities the everything is from the politburo from the centralized federal level national level government making all the decisions for your kids schooling for their health care uh, um, for their their college, if they if they merit going to college, because you don't get to make those decisions in a communist government, you don't have liberty, you don't have freedom, you don't we, even have rights. We couldn't have this conversation. 
No, no, you're you're right. And uh, instead of one black van with guys outside listening, we would probably have three or four of them and a SWAT team waiting. <laughs> Wave to the guys in the van. Hey, guys. So anyway, uh, you know, it says Russia gave communism a bad name. Oh, do you love the spin on this? Russia gave it a bad because, name. Because there's good examples of communism. Oh, give me one, please. Yeah. Uh, when it rained as the USSR. It was here that thousands who were seen as threats to the state, artists, authors, intellectuals, even those who practiced religion, were sent to be slaughtered or exiled. Uh, yikes. I guess you could call it socialism gone bad. So, so this sounds like a millennial, a woke millennial wrote this, this excerpt for the dictionary.com. Well, for the woke millennials, communism and socialism is, uh, is unicorns and rainbows. You know, it's it's uh, it's this utopian theory of, uh, of of a perfect society. When I'm communist dictator, iPhone 13s will be free for everyone, <laughs> and we'll all have 5G. Oh wait, that's actually that's actually coming, right? That is free iPhones yeah, for everyone. That's, 5G, that's free college, free yeah, iPhones, and an yeah. implant that's right. that they can yeah, turn off and right. on whenever they want to. Perfect. Right. So although the USSR fell way back when uh, Russia is still very communist culturally, though economically they're a capitalist system, countries like the People's Republic of China are certainly more communist than Russia, where all things are nationalized up to the point that citizens can't even make full use of the Internet due to the government's fear of free thought. So although communism is a form of socialism, it's definitely the rotten egg of the two. Sure. Because socialism is so great. Socialism is so great. Ask Venezuela <laughs> what socialism has done for them in the last 20 years. So then they give us a little uh, little. Uh, you know, excerpt. I guess uh, I've, I've always wondered, Jason, they say socialism is, is wonderful. I, I've often wondered what certain um, uh, exotic animals taste like. Venezuela had to eat their zoo animals because they couldn't find meat at the grocery <laughs> store. So I'm, I've always wanted to taste zebra. Not going to lie. So how about lion a la king? <laughs> Does that come with rice? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Or, or a la mode, you know. A la mode, yeah. The lion a la mode. There you go. So, you know, um, I have an Irish friend who, uh, who was born in Ireland, owned a business in Ireland, Ireland immigrated to the United States. And, um, you know, he's a hardworking dude and he had his own trucking company and, uh, excavation business in Ireland. And when he came to the United States, he said he made more money in the first week he was working in the United States than he could make in a month in Ireland. And, um, Ireland's a socialist country. People don't maybe realize that. Sure. But uh, it's very socialist, and there's no freedom there. There's a reason other than rotten potatoes that a lot of those people left, mm-hmm. primarily the English, yep. but then the Irish nobility that were in cahoots with, with the English. English. You know, and uh, if you want to do some interesting reading, look at the first and second Ulster periods, the, the, uh, the colonization of Ireland, uh, forced colonization of Ireland by England, where where they, they used a political um, disagreement to basically steal title and, uh, and, and then implant a whole bunch of... Uh, see, what they did was they used the Scottish and British against the Irish because they figured they could breed the Irish out of the Irish. Yeah, yeah. And, and 
and to some extent they were successful in plunging that country into continuous chaos through sectarian violence mm-hmm. um, because they essentially inserted different cultural influences that were incongruent with the Irish way of living and thinking. And and you can look at that country now, and they're divided and weak and uh, one of the poorest uh, countries in the EU. Yep. And they're socialist. So, you know... Um, uh, he has a lot to say about it, and I, someday I will have him on the show. Um, he's one of my friends who, he has a tendency to use a colorful language. So we'll have to put a parental advisory uh, probably on the on that show. But uh, when he uses that language, and we've actually discussed this, because my boys are quite shocked, you know, when they're around him and he'll say something. And he said, well, you know, in, in, in the United States, it's different than it is in Ireland. He says, in Ireland, it's an expression. It's a way of speaking. It's If you want to emphasize something, then you add this word, or this word, or this this series of words, right. or, or this this uh, page of phrases, you know, to, to accentuate how you're feeling at that given moment. And, you know, you have to wonder how much that comes from a place of desperation and frustration that has been bred into the Irish as sure. a, a cultural... Um, a, a cultural thing to where where basically their thoughts are occupied and dominated by a sense of strong distaste or dissatisfaction to the point where they interject that language as a comma in their that's everyday, right that's right verbiage that's yeah. right yeah. Um, also every time he he uses one of those words I I can't help but think of uh, and he'll probably laugh when he hears this but uh, that Lucky Charms guy. <laughs> They're magically delicious. <laughs> They're magically delicious, <laughs> you know. And uh, you know he'll he'll say a bad word, and my 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 youngest boy will gasp, and I'll chuckle. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> because I was like, uh, you know, it's like, oh, that's so cute. It's 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 funny to hear the Irishman, you know, uh, curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he apologizes. You know, he just and he's lived in the United States for quite some time now. He's got a beautiful family and wonderful children, an awesome wife. Um, we spent Christmas uh, Christmas Eve with them, had a wonderful dinner. Uh, he also invited us over for Thanksgiving, and I had the best ham I've ever had. He flew it from Ireland. Oh, wow. And uh, he says, yeah, the, you know, the Americans, they ruin ham. They they put it in hickory smoke. They, they put honey on it. He yeah. says, ham needs no help. Ham, ham stands alone. Ham stands alone. Ham stands and the way alone. that they cut it and prepare it in England and Scotland and Ireland is totally different from here. When I went to England a couple of years ago, actually just pre-COVID-19, I took my wife over there for 10 days. We had kind of a working holiday. And I would eat a English breakfast every morning, a big English breakfast. And, I mean, when they eat, when they say English breakfast, it's impressive. Sure. Um, some of it's kind of bland, but, uh, you know, the black beans I didn't care for so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, beans for breakfast cold not my my cup of bangers tea bangers mash yeah (laughs) they they had all that stuff that was good um but they had this cut of ham that was i don't know it it wasn't a loin but it was probably like pork butt and it had a tail of bacon on it so they'd cut it to where it got some of that stomach fat sure that's where the bacon comes from yeah yeah and so you got this little comma it looked like a comma, basically a, a round medallion of ham with this nifty little tail of bacon on it. I'll be darned. Oh, my 
gosh. That had to have been a shoulder roast or something. Oh, it was probably, it was it was yeah. awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. So my mouth is watering now. Thinking about it. Just thinking about it. But we'll have Rob on at some point in time. Um you know, this uh, this uh, entry says, uh, how are communism and socialism different from democracy? In case you didn't notice or know, we, we actually live in a country that's supposed to have a democracy. Yeah, yeah. a republic, constitutional republic. Constitutional republic. That's um, kind of turned into a democracy and... Yeah, demonocracy. Demonocracy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We don't we don't have statesmen representatives anymore. We have Mm-mm. politicians, right? And they became politicians just as soon as they realized they can uh, vote themselves pay raises. They and, can enrich uh, themselves from right. the people's treasury. That's right. That's exactly when they became politicians. So I will refer you back to. I can't remember which episode it was. Uh, I think we are in episode twenty four today. Uh, it would have been probably around episode. I, if I had to guess, nineteen, we had a um, we read uh, a article that was first published in Har- Harper's Weekly back in the late eighteen hundreds, recounting a story that that uh, Senator Davy Crockett gave, hmm. and um, a speech. Uh, so so he he recounted uh, a story and, and in a speech that he gave from the floor that he titled Not Yours to Give, where basically he had voted to help some people that had lost their homes in a fire in Georgetown from the federal treasury. And then when he went back to his district to stump for his next term, a very uh, prominent farmer named Farmer Buncey uh, basically said, "For you, I know who you are, sir, and I will not vote for you again. And uh, Davy Crockett was a uh, you know, sensitive mm-hmm. and uh, altruistic, I think, in his his uh, leadership. But uh, Buncey told him, you know, you may not have meant to do this, and you may have felt uh, fully justified in doing so, but your understanding of the Constitution and mine are vastly different. And he went on to tell him that, you know, that had a similar fire happened at home in his district, Washington wouldn't have given second thought to bailing out the the folks who lost their possessions their homes and things and and that once the once the congress uh decided that it had discretion to um take taxpayers money and benefit targeted groups of people uh rather than the uh for the benefit of the entire nation that that was the beginning of the end yeah and you can fast forward now to today and look and see exactly how right Farmer Buncey was. Well, it's pretty interesting. You look at the, I, and they'd like to say social, uh, social Security is an entitlement program. I beg to differ. But if you look at the true entitlement programs, um, I, I think the intent behind some of these programs were great intent, but they're just mismanaged and mismanaged at a, to a gross negligence by the federal government and and then entities within the federal government that were designed to help the masses and i'll just name i don't know a few uh bureau of indian affairs uh the veterans administration uh the u.s post office uh gross mismanagement that um continues to drain our coffers but really has little impact out there because of the mismanagement of all of it. If, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, you know, you know, um, the welfare system, socialism, 
without humanity, mm-hmm. the involvement of humans seems like a good idea. Reasonable, you know. Why wouldn't we all just want to get along and live better? And But the reality is, is that humanity is corrupt and deficient and well, oftentimes poorly motivated. Why don't it, we just wear masks for the rest of our lives and we could just continue to dehumanize each other? It's for the greater good. Oh, of course. I forgot. Sorry. Jeez. Oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> well, you know, we always have to ask what the vigilantes are thinking. What was I thinking? So, you know... Um, there was a there was an excellent I, I heard it I, I wish I had the reference somebody sent it to me in a I don't know one of these apps that forgets or maybe I just forgot where to find it but um, uh, it was a woman reading a a bit of prose that she wrote um, about the greater good yeah yeah it's just for two weeks we're gonna flatten the curve it's for the greater good for the greater good uh, now we're going to go to masks. It's for the greater good. Now we're going to, and she just went on and on and on. This thing was, I don't know, maybe three minutes long. And she showed every statement that the federal and state and local government has made about COVID since the beginning. And always couched in that term, it's for the greater good. Anytime anybody says that, you better run. I was just going to say, put on your running shoes. Put on your running shoes or start building your defenses. Yep, yep. And right now, that's what we're doing at the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club is we're building defenses. We're building community, true community, not the Facebook kind with uh, thumbs up and fact checkers, but um, with uh, honest to goodness, breathing, bleeding uh, Americans with a pulse. Face to face conversation. Face to face without yep. masks. If you want to wear a mask, knock, your, knock yourself out. Um, but. Uh, uh, we have several things, and I would be remiss if I did not talk about them, uh, given this opportunity to talk to you uh, on the podcast. But um, we are growing the Band of Brothers Men's Fellowship, which happens every Wednesday night. You can show up at 6 to 7. It's just sort of leisure hour. We just hang out and talk about things that are important, like you know football scores and hunting and you know what we're going to do this next summer. Um, but then at 7 o'clock, we dive deep. And we talk about warfare, the type that men struggle with every day. Uh, spiritual warfare, physical warfare, you know, toxic work environments, difficult relationships, family dynamics, uh, the economy, you know, finance, what's happening with that. COVID, you know, how that's impacting us and, and how to stay spiritually strong. And that's how leaders are born. Leaders are born by, by men getting together and, and strengthening each other. Iron sharpens iron, right? <laughs> uh, that's a common common biblical uh, verse that that likes to get thrown out of Proverbs. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, it's interesting. I, I I didn't mean to step over you on your on your plug for Band of Brothers, but no, 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 no. I, I I'm I'm chuckling because the 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 scripture that is the foundation stone for. The Band of Brothers is Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. There you go. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Yeah, so is the countenance of a brother. You bet. Right. So you know, that's uh, that's really why we come together. Yep. It, it's to sharpen each other. You know, intellectually, I, spiritually, uh, mentally. And what a beautiful thing about that, because as Christian conservatives, 
it's it's really easy to get caught up in the things that we've been talking about in our political climate, our our where we're going as a nation. Uh, get caught up in the socialism, communism debate, taxes, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I'm so glad that you brought it around to the spiritual warfare that we face daily. Mm-hmm. Um, from the second we open our eyes, well, e- even while we're sleeping, we're attacked. But. Well, you, you you know, right, that that uh, political issues are just co-opted spiritual issues. Absolutely, absolutely. And and that's what the that's what the secular humanists and the uh, transhumanists would like uh, to expand this upon this idea that uh, there's such a thing as religious speech sure which connotes that there's something that would be other types of speech sure. which isn't in fact the case all speech yep we is can't. religious in nature because the Bible says there's power in the tongue there is and and that uh, we should say things to lift up and edify and build up and ad- each other and advance the kingdom of God That's right and share that good news the gospel that Christ is the author of liberty and without him true liberty cannot be feel uh, re- revealed or experienced amen and we've we've wrote him out of every institution in this country and uh I think uh, Billy Graham said it best when he said that if uh, God doesn't judge America soon, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. An apology, right? You know, and so, so as as uh, you know, the thing with the Band of Brothers is, is uh, as I've advertised, I've told folks, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to attend because, but but we will warn you, <laughs> Christians attend, and uh, and we do look for the Bible for wisdom. So, if you acknowledge that the Bible is a really old book. And that people wouldn't probably have taken so much time to write it unless they had something meaningful to communicate. And you want to take it from a purely analytical and philosophical place to say, oh, there are many books of antiquity that have wisdom in them, and I will look at them all. Well, bully for you, buddy. Yep. Uh, we're going to look at this one. We're not bringing the Quran in. We're not bringing in any of these other uh, resources. Occasionally, we will bring in a commentary on the Bible. But really what we do is we sit around ecumenically as the church in the ecclesiastical sense right and uh we debate and discuss and build each other up and um provide clarity you know uh we have a a brother that's been attending that is a pastor of a uh seventh-day adventist church and the only adventists i'd ever met were very strictly sectarian and very rigid in their standards and would separate themselves from other the uh, the the larger body of believers sure. and that didn't sit right with me but brother Jonathan has been able to expand and talk to us about the doctrine of the church and the theology now I'm not going to run down and become a seventh day adventist but I understand them better now sure and um you know, it takes all all kinds. There are all kinds of people in every organization. A lot of people will say, you know, well, the church is corrupt. <coughs> Everything's corrupt because that is the nature of the world. You know, and it, the it church is made up of people in the world. And the, while they're not supposed to be in the world, or they're not supposed to be of the world, they're supposed to be in it, but not of it, oftentimes people forget which kingdom they're building. That's that's right. And when people start building their own kingdoms and they happen to be in a leadership role in a church, that's where the enemy can find some traction and create division and 
and problem and, and pride gets in the way, you know, and, yep. and the Bible's clear on that again. Again, you know, and we, I don't mean to sermonize in this, this podcast, but, you know, pride beca- uh, comes before the fall or a fall. Or the fall. Or the fall. The fall, yeah. the big one. Did God really say, don't eat the fruit? Right, right, right. Oh. So so that's something that that each of us, uh, we challenge each other. Uh, you know, there was a brother that asked uh, us to pray for him for humility. I mean, how profound is that? When was the last time you were out working, you know, in the construction uh, you know, I know you're in construction. You're out there, you know, on a project, and you look at your fellow laborer there, and he looks over and says, "You know what I need? I need a good dose of humility." Yeah. He's like, "Well, hit your thumb again." You know, let's. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've found through my walk and my and my career that uh, you don't have to look too far, and you really don't have to pray for humility. I don't like it. Praying. Will find you. I don't like praying for humility, patience, or wisdom Amen. because because then God says, "All right, here it comes. Here it comes. Hold here. Hold on. <laughs> hold on." Uh, he wouldn't say it, but hold my beer. Yeah, you right. Know? <laughs> right. Get ready. Hold my wine skin. Yeah, yeah. Hold my wine skin. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another thing I wanted to let folks know about is uh, this uh, January sixth, there will be a uh, a vigil of light uh, here at Amokan in front uh, here, right on the corridor for the uh, Kenai Spur Highway. Bring a light of your own uh, uh, design. Whether that's a glow stick, a flashlight, a, a lantern, or whatever. If it's windy today, you know, dress well. Um, but we're going to stand along the corridor silently with our lights uh, as, a, as a visual reminder to people that there are Americans who are captives, over 100 of them, political captives who have been imprisoned. A year later. A year later and have not gone to trial. Uh, have not been convicted of any crime, but have suffered such deprivation of their human rights that uh, really we don't even resemble America anymore. If 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 uh, Nancy Pelosi and the powers that be there in, in, in D.C. are not held to account for what they have done to these people, now, if they committed crimes, then let them show that in court. And then try them and then convict them, and then sentence them. That's our system. But you don't get to withhold thousands of hours of potentially exculpatory evidence and videos, Merrick Garland. Right. You don't get to withhold that and hold these Americans indefinitely in confinement 23 hours a day for over a year without providing them soap, blankets, toilet paper, toothbrushes, Bibles, stripping them naked, beating them regularly, one beaten so badly by a guard that he lost his eyesight in one eye. He's blind now in that eye. Unbelievable. And then bar members of Congress who have legislative privilege to visit prisoners, especially constituent prisoners, to then be able to come back to the floor and speak to the issue of incarceration and whether or not the judiciary and the administrative branches are doing their job. So much for habeas corpus. So That's, much for democracy. Yeah, well, 
it's, you know and 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 it's um so we're going to have this vigil from five to six we encourage you to come uh we will have a potluck so bring a dish um and uh we're going to be screening the movie capital punishment here in the shop and so we encourage you to come and become a a part of a growing number of liberty-minded folks and uh the liberty action ak group is sponsoring this and uh we are a part of that group and they meet here most saturdays um we might have a couple straggle in here today but it's a it's a holiday so i'd be surprised if we get a bunch of people before the sixth need to need to spread over southeast and get a southeast chapter right well you're gonna be home by the sixth right uh, it's my intent impromptu man house party there you go you know go out yep. find it find a good intersection a good corner respectfully silently stand with a light and a sign and just say you know shine a light on injustice january 6th january people 6th. Knows ex- yep. know exactly what that is and we have to hold these leaders to account and um, uh, so that's coming up. Then also on January 8th, we have uh, uh, gubernatorial candidate Christopher Kirka will be visiting us. He'll be our special guest for the podcast on the 6th. So make sure to mark that on your calendars. And um, then he will be meeting with the Liberty Action Group to listen to some of their concerns and to talk to them about uh, key issues that he's going to be bringing into the, uh, the campaign. And um, and then we'll have a public meet and greet from four to six here at the shop. Uh, Michelle and I are hosting that, and uh, we encourage you to come out and meet uh, Christopher Kirka. Now, I want to tell folks in full transparency, uh, I'm helping Chris with his campaign for a variety of reasons, but I've known his family for many, many years. His oldest brother, Jonathan, is one of my closest friends. And um, and I met Chris when he was a young political activist. I think he was about 19 or 20 when I first met him, maybe even younger. But uh, I know he started his activism when he was 16. He eventually became the right to life director for the state of Alaska and served in that position for many years. And uh, so he was in Juneau doing a lot of lobbying on, on the issue of life and um, and trying to get uh, laws passed to protect the unborn. And um, also speaking to the issues of euthanasia and, you know, just life in general. But um, so very, very seasoned uh, and experienced um, political mind, uh, also very active in his local district, um, holding a variety of different uh, elected chairs uh, or positions on the committees there. Um, I met him first um, Actually, when he was, I believe, the chairman, he was either chairman or the bonus vote for his district. And I was the bonus vote and um, went to a central committee meeting and sat next to him. And we compared notes and I knew his brother and he had heard of me. And so um, here's something if we're going to if you listen to Suzanne Downing, uh, Must Read Alaska or. Um, any of the other news outlets that are talking about Christopher Kirk's campaign, one of the things you may have heard is that people are concerned about his age because he's. I think he's either 35 or going to be 35 this year, and um, so they say, "Well, that gee, that's uh, that's awful young. Do we want a 35 year old governor?" You know, and I would pose to you the question: if age. And he's old enough to run for governor. So, I mean, that's the only requirement that the Constitution makes. But if age is a test of wisdom, how's that working for us? I'm going to say pretty poorly. 
Right. So the definition of doing the same thing over and over again. Insanity. You know, and expecting a different outcome. Yeah. Insanity. So so maybe it's time for a younger, uh, uh, more uh, uh, energetic, more creative mind who has not been corrupted by time. Sure, sure. You know, I, I, I feel corrupted by time every time I wake up in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> oh, hard. my it's gosh. It's hard not to Man, when I, my knees pop. I, yeah, I do not, you know. So, but but in all honesty, you know, um, the longer that we live, the more opportunity there is to be compromised. Sure. And um, one of the things that struck me very, uh, very well about Mr. Kirka is that when I went to Juno. I was looking for a place to stay. I was working with uh, with Ron Gillum as junior staff, and I knew Chris was going to be down there. And I said, uh, "Hey, uh, would I be able to, uh, you know, room with you? Could we split an apartment or something?" And he said, "Well, no. I've actually got a house arranged, um, bringing my entire family." And he's got like four boys under the age of seven or six or something. I think it's six. And uh, and his wife uh, runs a couple businesses. She's actually the bookkeeper for mm-hmm. our shop. Mm-hmm. His littlest, second youngest brother also just married my daughter. So we're connected in a lot of ways sure, sure. now. Sure, sure. But um, he told me at that time, uh, I'm bringing my family down. I said, well, that's ambitious. And he said, yeah, I got to find a place big enough for a home office for my wife's because she's going to work remotely and mm-hmm. manage her staff mm-hmm. from the valley, you know, on the phone and well, that fell through, and he called me back later and said, you know, after, on second thought, I would like you to come and move in with us because the only other place that I could find that would meet our needs is like $6,500 a month. Nice house on sure. the beach on sure, Douglas sure. Island. Beautiful place. Who doesn't want to live in a house like that? Right. And I was I jumped at the opportunity. But he told me, he said, the reason he brought his family, and I, I'd asked him because it was all that per diem they talk about. Well, when he took his family to Juneau, he didn't have hardly any of that left because of the cost of living down there. And um, he told me the reason he took his family was because he had observed through his many years of going to Juneau that politicians get down there and they're separated from their families, at the very least for 120 days. But like this last year, special session after special session, sometimes the whole year. Mm -hmm. And they go to endless cocktail parties and uh, receptions hosted by powerful lobbies. Complete debauchery. And, yeah, yeah, and they get compromised. Yep. They get compromised because they get some liquor in them or yep. something else, and, you know, that pretty lady across the bar has beautiful eyes, and, you know, they have a lonely, sick heart, and they're under the influence, or, or maybe they're just debauched to begin with, but ultimately they get compromised, and then they're leveraged. And once they're leveraged, they're of no no they're use. They're yeah. no use to their constituents. They become ineffective. And then it's all about maintaining the lie yep. and propping up the lie. And, and they can't, they're not let go because the people who know say, we're going to keep you in power so long as you keep up us, us in power. You keep yeah. us on the gravy train, we'll just forget about that uh, that Friday evening you know, reception. No longer representing the people, just protecting your right. character, right? So so yeah. what, what Chris said was, he said, if I have my family down there, first of all, my boys are too young for me to leave them. So I'll be able to come home every night to them. Second of all, my wife's there. So if I get lonely, problem solved. I will not be compromised. Commendable. You know, and so that speaks to the character of the man and and um, the willingness to not enrich himself with what he could have done when he had the uh, 
the per diem. Sure. You know, because it's a lot of per diem. I think they make something when you count their their salary and the per diem together, they get like nine grand a month. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of working folks out there that don't. Get it's significant. That. Yeah. You know. Um. So, so uh, he's going to be here on the eighth. We'd love to have you down here at the shop. Uh, check him out. Um, we need foot soldiers. We need people who are willing to carry the flag, carry the banner, say, this is a good guy. He's right now working on developing a team of people that he's going to identify to fill key cabinet positions, all the cabinet positions, actually, and and uh, his uh, the folks uh, who are going to fill the, the, the um, department uh, commissioner seats and deputy commissioners, the, the, the appointed folks. Well, I'd encourage anybody to go to his website and and read up on him. I I know I have um, his his stance on sanctity of life is is uh, second to none, and uh, his stance on the Second Amendment is second to none. So yeah, well, and 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 the other thing is is that I think it's uh, I think statutorily they can accept money up until the ninth mm-hmm. um, of January, and then uh, they they can't accept any money during the session. Because he's not stepping down from his position, sure. Um, which <clears throat> is commendable, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because most people, when they set their sights on another uh, office, they just ditch their constituents. And sure. he made a commitment to his constituents, and that's why he's staying. So, yep. anyway, you have been on with uh, Ralph Vigilante on the yep. Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. We thank you for joining us again uh, for another great episode. Check us out. You want to join the fight? Then we have to speak up, stand together shoulder to shoulder in solidarity, and carry the message forward. Always civilly and in love, but with resolution and a firm understanding of where our liberty is derived. Have a good week, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Jason, thank you. Thanks, Ralph. Yep, we'll see you.